Well, you might have heard that Matilda has been declared the word of the year for 2023 by Australia's National Dictionary Centre. And 2023 has certainly been the year of the Matildas in many wonderful ways. Today, we're going to find out what year made one of the Matildas. Amy Sayer is an emerging star of Australian women's football who, at the age of 21, is also in some ways a veteran because she debuted for the Matildas five years ago at the age of just 16. She's only got 21 years to choose from, therefore, but Amy's already packed a lot into those years with huge highs and lows on the sporting field and a degree from Stanford, majoring in human biology and philosophy to boot. Amy Sayer, welcome to The Year That Made Me. Thank you very much for having me. It's great speaking with you, especially because you're speaking with us from Sweden, where you're playing football professionally at the moment. Yes, I am. Our season just ended, but I'm still here for a little bit. Let's get right back to the beginning, Amy. Could you tell us a little bit about growing up? Tell us about your family and your early years. Yeah, my family is made up of my mom and my dad. I have an older brother. Um, I started playing football when I was about five. And I distinctly remember that my very first day I was throwing a tantrum and I kept trying to pick up the ball. Um, but yeah, my family is very important to me. I could not have achieved what I have achieved without them. Was football a big thing in the family? No, I'm actually the very first kind of elite athlete, I would say, in my family. My brother played. He's about two years older than me. So he started playing and I wanted to be just like him. Or I think I more wanted to be better than him. So I decided that I wanted to play football too. Absolutely. Well, I'm willing to bet that you are better than him at football. Can you remember how many years it took from the age of five to get to that point for you? I get this question a lot about when I really decided to stick with football. And I can't quite pinpoint it. I think I just kind of fell into it. I fell in love with it. And I was lucky that I had a fantastic coach who kind of nurtured my skill and recognized that there was something in me that he wanted to facilitate and mm. develop. But I think I just kind of started. I kept going. I mean, as a kid, you don't really have much on your mind apart from, I don't know, getting in the car when your mom picks you up. <laughs> but um I think as I got older, I think it was about when I was 12 and I kind of fell into the Australian elite football players pipeline that I kind of started becoming serious. Mm. But what's it like for a 12-year-old to all of a sudden be in, as you say, this elite pipeline? It must be exciting, but also sort of bemusing. Yeah, I think I didn't quite recognize the magnitude of what I was entering or that that was the point at which I had flipped over from being just like a community football player, playing with the boys, having fun, playing with my school friends, to then um, training four times a week and playing games against teams all across New South Wales and then traveling for the first time into all of these different countries to qualify for a youth World Cup. I think it's not really something that a 14-year-old can really say is a common point of the teenage experience, but... I don't think the occasion really at that point crossed my mind. I think it was just me having fun, playing with people who I love to play with, playing the game that I loved, and really just taking everything as it came to me. I've read also you talking about how your family's Chinese heritage was very important to you and a significant part of your family life growing up. Could you tell us a little bit about that, Amy? 
So my mom is Chinese. She was actually born in Papua New Guinea because her parents moved over there to escape the communist regime. So they had a pretty tough life to begin with. And my mom is very conscious of that. And she instilled a lot of those values in me. I'm very much culturally Chinese. My dad's Australian, so I'm only half Chinese, but we actually lived down the road from my Chinese grandparents for about, I think it was 14 or 15 years of my life until they sadly passed away. It was always my brother and I would walk up this massive hill every weekend to go visit them. And we would just kind of go hang out and they didn't speak very good English, but they still loved us very much. And we would always spend a lot of time with them. And then on occasion, our extended family would get together and we would just like sit around and make dumplings. And I actually, since being in Sweden and now that I'm living on my own, I took the task of trying to make dumplings myself. And I said to someone that I couldn't remember quite how to do it, but then suddenly like the ghost of my maternal grandmother overtook <laughs> my muscle memory and I, and I figured out how to do it. But um, yeah, so it's been an incredibly important part of my life. I think we communicate our love through food and like acts of service. And I think a big part of that is everything that my mom has done for me and supporting me and kind of pushing me to do anything that I really wanted, especially moving across the world at least twice in my 21 years. I don't think many people have that kind of support and I'm very lucky to have that. But I try to maintain my ethnic roots as much as I can. And I think it's instilled so deep in me that it's it's pretty easy and it's something that I hold very close to me. On The Year That Made Me, we're speaking with Matilda Amy Sayer, who's joining us from Sweden, where she's just finished a season playing professional football. And we're hearing about those early years where really, Amy, you were on the fast track to representative football to the point that you weren't able to attend normal high school classes for a few years. How was that for you? And also, how did your parents feel about that? I've always been, I think, a pretty good student and education always came first for me. But it was, I think it was in year 10, I was at the age that I could play in the Australian W League for the first time. And I don't even know how it worked. It was a bit of a fever dream. But I moved to Canberra for about six months and lived with the host family to then play my debut season in the W League. And I was doing a lot of online videos and doing all of my homework from afar and then I managed to keep up and do quite well in my exams and then I was just playing the life of a professional when I was 15, which is kind of a crazy thing to say now. Yeah, and in terms of your ambitions, obviously you had ambitions to uh, play for the Matildas and to play at the highest level, but you also had professional ambitions outside sport as well. In those early years, what were they? So early in high school, I always wanted to be a doctor and in year 11, I took legal studies at Barker College, and I fell in love with everything to do with the ethical decisions that had to be made, a bit of moral philosophy. And I didn't quite know it at the time, but I actually developed a huge passion for philosophy. And when I went to Stanford, I continued along that path. I still had quite a big passion for biology, even if I didn't want to be a doctor, which is why I chose the human biology major, because it was so flexible. And then I was able to combine that with my interests in all of those moral philosophy and ethical decision making and kind of merge the two interests together into what is bioethics. 
It's amazing that you're able to uh, excel in both those very hard fields at the same time. Let's pause for a moment, though, and talk about what it's like to become a Matilda at the age of 16. Tell us about getting in to the team and your first game. Yeah. When I said the national team pipeline exists, it really does. I went from being 14 in the under-17s team to then almost immediately the next year being in the under-20s and being one of the youngest players. And then it was kind of a natural progression from that to then be brought into the Matildas. And it had always been a dream of mine to do that. And I was lucky that Alan Stajic took a chance on myself. And I think Mary Fowler was in that camp with me and we both debuted at the Tournament of Nations. The US still had the biggest crowds in women's football at that point. So we were playing across the United States for our three games. And I remember sitting on the bus and we had the like sheriff's men, patrolmen, giving us a police escort all the way down the highway. <laughs> and they were on these motorcycles and they were just like stopping traffic, then waiting for us to pass. It was like a whole conveyor belt of all of these patrolmen. And that was that was incredible. Um, my first time for the Matildas debuting was in the final game of the Tournament of Nations. And I got, I think it was about eight seconds on the field and I got <laughs> one touch. So for about a year until I played my next game for the Matildas, I had a hundred percent pass conversion rate. So that was, <laughs> that was an interesting statistic to see on the website. But yeah, I think even at that age, I didn't quite recognize how big it was to do that at that point as well. The Matildas weren't quite a household name, so it was a lot easier for us younger players to kind of break in at that age and be blooded as new talents and for the coaches to kind of take a chance because it was low stakes. Um, and I think now, now that I'm five years older, I have kind of realized the amount of effort that I've now put in to try and break back into the team and how the team has really established themselves as a world powerhouse in women's football and that you really have to be the best of the best to compete with that. And Amy said, despite those incredible statistics from the first eight seconds of your international career, it did take a while to get back into the Matildas team. And that was also because of some of the other challenges I alluded to earlier, because you had a pretty serious injury not long afterwards. Is that right? Yeah. In my third major camp for the Matildas, I think it was, I had been having a bit of a pain in my foot because I'd been playing for the 20s as well at the same time. So I had been traveling to about five countries in two months and I got diagnosed with a stress fracture in my right foot in the navicular. It's a place that doesn't get much blood flow, so it was never going to heal on its own. And it meant that I had to get surgery pretty soon after. And everyone was a little shocked about that, but I was really young. And I think that was my first major kind of hiccup in my journey to become the professional footballer that I wanted to be. So that kind of put me out of the national team for about one or two years because that was 2018. And, and then I didn't make the squad again until 2021. And Amy, I think that brings us pretty close to the year that you've chosen as the year that made you, not the year that you debuted for the Matildas. Amy, say, so what year have you chosen as the year that made you and why? I chose 2020 as the year that made me. I think some of the biggest things in my life happened in that year. I went to Stanford for the first time as a freshman, and it was also in the middle of COVID. And I think 
a very classic experience with COVID is that you go in and you kind of incubate as a person and then you come out completely new. But I think 2020 was really me committing to going to Stanford. And at that point, I had realized that I was foregoing the pretty well-trodden path to making and establishing yourself within the Matildas in that I was choosing a league that was less commonly chosen in the college football league. And I had also done that to choose my education alongside my footballing pursuits. And that's not really a common thing that people do in Australia if you want to make the Matildas as early as possible. The only other people who have really done it and done it successfully are Tegan Micah and BD Goad. And the latter was actually the one who helped me get recruited to Stanford. And she's now doing great things being a doctor. Um, And it was also during peak COVID time. So something that was quite significant in that year was that at some point I didn't even know if I was going to make it to Stanford because it took me six months to get a visa. I had to get emergency authorization to leave the country and I had to time it at the same time that my emergency visa came through. So at some point I didn't think that I would even make it for my freshman season. They shot the entire Stanford campus because of COVID. So they joined me with this amazing host family and they housed me for about two days that turned into two weeks. And then now they're basically my second family and I'm going to meet up with them about two weeks. And they took me on holidays with them because I couldn't go home for about two years because of COVID still. And I think the funniest part of all of that is that their surname is Bogan. And I think it was just meant to be. And (laughs) they've been truly, truly amazing. They took me to go skiing in Utah for Christmas. They took me to Boston for Thanksgiving. Their little girls both play football and I just adore them. And the family is just something else entirely. They're just amazing. But I assume, Amy, maybe the word bugging doesn't have the resonance that it has in Australia or in America. So they probably weren't quite aware of what you found amusing about the surname. Well, I think they actually realized how amusing their surname was when they made a trip to Australia and (laughs) they tried to book a hotel and they hung up on them because they were like, no, you're you're taking (laughs) That's amazing. I mean, you spoke before about discovering a, a passion for philosophy. Now, you were still working very hard on your football when you were at Stanford and achieving great things. But could you just tell us a little bit about the sort of intellectual discovery of your time at Stanford and how you managed again to do it while you were, um, you know, working so hard on your football as well. I think a big part of going to college is that you're able to combine your footballing pursuits with your academic pursuits as well. And like we mentioned before, there's the Bachelor of Arts path and there's the Bachelor of Science path. I took the Bachelor of Arts because of the flexibility it had. And that meant that I was able to take so many different classes that I never would have been able to do if I had chosen another major. So I was taking classes in anthropology, obviously philosophy, a lot of psychology, psychiatry, uh, human biology classes, biology, anything you could possibly think of. And I really discovered a passion for all of them where at some point I was trying to figure out how I could get two majors and like five minors. And I was (laughs) really trying to push it. And I was actually, by the end of Stanford, I was only two classes away from getting that second major, but I had to cut it short because I had decided to graduate within three years instead of four in order to go professional 
sooner than expected, but I really, really enjoyed my time at Stanford. Everything on the academic side, I wouldn't trade that experience for anything. And obviously now you are playing professionally for many people going overseas and having that life would be a huge change. But it sounds like for you, it's sort of in line with some of the big changes that you've had since the time of about the age of 12. Yeah, I think that's why 2020 is my biggest year, I think, because it was the first time I had moved quite significantly to live on my own in Mm. a different country. 2020 and moving across the world really was the biggest change, I think. I didn't know it at the time, but looking back on it, that has prepared me to now move to Sweden. And I think the only big change between the States and Sweden is now I'm a full-time professional footballer rather than having to study And I'm now living on my own, so I actually have to cook my own meals and everything, which is probably the most significant change. And because of that, and because I don't quite know what to do with my time, I've actually looked into collecting the degree that I want to get. So I've applied for a master's of bioethics, just in case next year I get too bored with all the time I have on my hands. Amy, just finally, 2023, as I said, has been a huge year for the Matildas which must be a wonderful thing to be part of. But I imagine also in some ways it's a little bittersweet for you because you were in the squad for the World Cup but then weren't able to play in the World Cup. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So I was in the extended squad in the lead up to the World Cup and after they finalised the final 23 players and I didn't quite make it, I was lucky that I got selected by Tony to help the team continue to prepare as kind of a 24th player down in Melbourne um, where we had another camp for two more weeks. And there I was just an extra body basically to try and help the team get prepared and challenge them in different ways and fill in in all these different positions that I needed. Um, And I think it was a little bit bittersweet being around the team. I was still happy to get an amazing training environment and to be around the squad and get to know a lot of the players a lot better, which has helped me now. Um, But going into those original camps, kind of like trial camps, I guess, for the final selection, I didn't really have high expectations of making the squad. I knew that because I had been at Stanford for so long, I wasn't quite at the level at a lot of the other players. And I was actually the only amateur in the squad, which I was quite aware of. very self-aware of exactly the position that I was in and all the things that I needed to do to be at the level that was needed, which is why I made that decision to graduate early from Stanford as well and go professional as soon as possible because I recognized the gaps in my game that I needed. So I think rather than it being a bit of a sad experience that I just missed out on a home world cup, I think it was definitely a learning curve in illuminating all of the areas of my game that I needed to improve in, which I think has always been the biggest part of my love for football is just continuing to improve and challenge myself and put myself in new situations where I can continue to grow. And the coach, Tony Gustafsson, said that the way you contributed to the squad in that role of the sort of the the 24th person was a credit to you. And he also said that he felt it sparked something in you. Do you agree with that? I think... It didn't necessarily spark something, but more add fuel to a fire that was already burning pretty high. Um, I think being in the squad and recognizing all of those little things and communicating with the coaches as well. So I think I've always got that fire in me. And I think 
in 2023 was burning quite ferociously. And then post-World Cup, I think it was at an all-time high, which is how I've now ended up in Sweden. And you were certainly on fire when you were on for the Matildas for more than eight seconds in the Olympic qualifiers. It's been great speaking with you, Amy. We wish you all the best for both strands of your fascinating career. And I'm pretty sure we'll have to have you back on the year that made me to talk about another year before too long. I would love to be back. Amy, thanks again. And we always finish the year that made me by asking our guests to nominate a piece of music. What have you chosen for us and why? So I chose Radioactive by Imagine Dragons. And that really kind of summed up the year of 2020 for me. Um, and one particular moment that is really representative of it is when I went over to Stanford, we were in the middle of bushfire season. And one day we were in a hotel because we couldn't live on campus. We were in a hotel just off campus. We woke up one day and the sky was orange. And we really thought the apocalypse had come there were sirens going off in the streets and it just did not seem real. And I think that in a broader scope, it was kind of just a lot of different things happening, new things being born out of 2020 for me. And just, I think COVID as a whole really colored a lot of experiences. And I think that's really the essence of that song. Well, here it is, Radioactive by Imagine Dragons. Amy Sayer, thanks again. Thank you. Waking up to ash and dust I wipe my brow and I sweat my rust I'm breathing in the chemicals ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.